questioned faith. Nor will it be beside the purpose to give some account of the occasion of the discussions that took place, so that in due order we may come to the end at which our discourse aims. On the slopes of the Apennines, toward the Adriatic, at almost the centre of Italy, is situated, as everyone knows, the little city of Urbino and although it sits among hills that are perhaps not as pleasant as those we have seen in many other places, still it has been blessed by heaven with a most fertile and bountiful countryside, so that besides the wholesomeness of the air, it abounds in all the necessities of life. But among the greater blessings that can be claimed for it, and this I believe to be the chief, that for a long time now it has been ruled by excellent lords, even though in the universal calamity of the wars of Italy it was deprived of them for a time. But, to look no further, we can cite good proof thereof in the glorious memory of Duke Federico, who in his day was the light of Italy. Nor are there wanting many true witnesses still living who can testify to his prudence, humanity, justice, generosity, undaunted spirit, to his military prowess, signally attested by his many victories the capture of impregnable places, the sudden readiness of his expeditions, the many times when, with but small forces, he routed large and very powerful armies, and the fact that he never lost a single battle, so that not without reason may we compare him to many famous men among the ancients. Among his other laudable deeds, he built on the rugged site of Urbino a palace thought by many the most beautiful to be found anywhere in all Italy and he furnished it so well with every suitable thing that it seemed not a palace, but a city in the form of a palace, and furnished it not only with what is customary, such as silver vases, wall hangings of the richest cloth of gold, silk, and other like things, but for ornament he added countless ancient statues of marble and bronze, rare paintings, and musical instruments of every sort. Nor did he wish to have anything there that was not the most rare and excellent. Then, at great expense, he collected many very excellent and rare books in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, all of which he adorned with gold and silver, deeming these to be the supreme excellence of his great palace. Following, then, the course of nature, and being already sixty-five years old, he died as gloriously as he had lived, leaving as his successor his only son, a child ten years of age and motherless, named Guidobaldo. This boy, even as he was heir to the state, seemed to be heir to all his father's virtues as well, and in his remarkable nature began at once to promise more than it seemed right to expect of a mortal, so that men judged none of the notable deeds of Duke Frederico to be greater than his begetting such a son. But fortune, envious of so great a worth, set herself against this glorious beginning with all her might, so that before Duke Guido had reached the age of twenty, he fell sick of the gout, which grew upon him with grievous pain, and in a short time so crippled all his members that he could not stand upon his feet or move. Thus one of the fairest and ablest persons in the world was deformed and marred at a tender age. And not even content with this, fortune opposed him so in his every undertaking, that he rarely brought to a successful issue anything he tried to do, and, although he was very wise in counsel and undaunted in spirit, it seemed that whatever he undertook always succeeded ill with him, whether in arms or in anything, great or small, 
all of which attested by his many and diverse calamities, which he always bore with such strength of spirit that his virtue was never overcome by fortune. Nay, despising her storms with staunch heart, he lived in sickness as if in health, and in adversity as if most fortunate, with the greatest dignity and esteemed by all. So that although he was infirm of body in this way, he campaigned with a most honourable rank, in the service of their serene highnesses King Alfonso and Ferdinand the Younger of Naples, and later with Pope Alexander the Sixth, as well as the signories of Venice and Florence. Then, when Julius the Second became Pope, and Duke was made captain of the church, during which time and following his usual style, he saw to it that his household was filled with very noble and worthy gentlemen, with whom he lived on the most familiar terms, delighting in their company in which the pleasure he gave others